One of the beautiful things about uh, the way that we do small groups is I get to participate and uh, we talk about what we talk about on Sunday and uh, I get to hear just uh, some of the thoughts of, of people. And uh, following our sermon last week, um, it came to my attention. I think there may have been some confusion or misunderstanding even in some of the things that, that we were teaching last week. So before we go on and talk about what we want to talk about, today. Um, I just want to clear up some things that we talked about last week because we talked about a difficult subject for a lot of people and that is the subject of something called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And uh, we, we talked about this and there was a lot of confusion. So just want to clear some things up for you uh, that will really help you understand what we're talking about today as well. Uh, the, the Bible teaches that, that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, that, uh, that you ask for forgiveness of sins, that the Holy Spirit comes and does a work within your life and within your heart. And what that work is, it starts to change you from the inside out. Uh, it, it starts to, 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 to change you so that the things that, that, that you once sought after or desired no longer become uh, so, so, uh, so passionate in your life because God becomes the most passionate thing in your life. And what the Bible teaches is, is this is the work of what, as Christians, called regeneration. Not Generation Church, but regeneration. And what that means is, is that your life is being changed. And, uh, and the Bible talks about it. Jesus even talks about it in the terms of being born again of the Spirit of God. And that is the work that the Holy Spirit comes and does within you. But however, after you become saved, what we call, or you find Jesus Christ as your Lord and he- a-, a Savior, and now you're on a journey towards heaven, you have everlasting life, then in the Christian faith, we believe there are other steps that you should take. Now, if you never take another step in your life, it's still, it means that you are still a Christian. It still means that you are now one of God's children. It does mean that you are heaven bound, that your sins are forgiven. So that, that, it doesn't matter if you take another step in your, in your life. You are still in that, in that place. But then there's another step and, uh, in, in Christian theology, and that step is water baptism. And that is going through what we call the, wa- the waters of baptism, being baptized in water, a physical baptism. And what that means is, is that is an outward declaration to the world of what God has done in your heart. And how the Holy Spirit has regenerated your heart and your life. And that is water baptism. And that's where most people stop because they think you get saved and you get water baptism and then that's it. But however, the Bible teaches that there is a second baptism as well. And this is where it gets confusing because a lot of people, there's a lot of theologians out there who will try to argue against this. There's a lot of churches who don't teach this. But if you read the book of Acts, it is very, very clear that there is a second baptism that happens after salvation. And this is called the baptism of with the Holy Spirit. And what this is, this is a moment, a second event after salvation where God comes and does a work within you and empowers you for a specific purpose. And that is the purpose of the work and mission of Jesus Christ that God has called you to. 
And so it's not so that you can just come and have a, a great old church time and, uh, and, 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 and a lot of people, they associate like things like speaking in tongues and things like this with this. That, that's not the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to equip and empower you for the purposes of God. Now, if you've never been water baptized or you've never had the baptism of the, or with the Holy Spirit, it does not mean that you are a second grade Christian. It doesn't mean that God looks at you any differently. All it means is that you've taken the step for God to empower you for the purposes that God has. Because let's be honest, if we want to do the work of Christ on our own, we can't do it on our own. We need God's help. So I just wanted to share that to clear some things up after what we spoke about last week, that the Holy Spirit is with you at salvation. But there is a second event called the baptism with the Holy Spirit where God comes and empowers you for his work and the purposes that God has for your life. Now, think back to Thanksgiving for a moment. Most of you got up on Thanksgiving and some of you watched the Macy's Thanksgiving parade from the warmth of your sofa. Not us this year. We watched the Macy's Thanksgiving parade from Fifth Avenue with a crowd of about eight deep and with my son on my shoulders who would not put gloves on and we were freezing cold. Uh, we saw the balloons high, but we didn't see much on the ground at all. You got to see a much better view of it than what we did because this year we decided to take my son to go and see the Macy's Thanksgiving parade. Yes, we were that crazy and we braved New York at Thanksgiving. Uh, it's something that we've wanted to do for quite a few years. Raquel and myself, we did it a while ago and we had a great time. Uh, it was a little warmer that day when we actually went before, but still we had a great time this time. And so what we normally do whenever we go to New York, uh, we used to take day trips when we were younger and we had lots of energy. Now we don't have the energy to go back up and down in the same day. So we normally stay over a night or two. And uh, instead of paying the ridiculous hotel prices in New York City, we often stay in Jersey City. And we can get a four-star hotel for the price of a two-star hotel on Manhattan Island. So it's a no-brainer because they have like the, the subway. It's called The Path, and it's right there by the hotels. And uh, it, it just makes no sense to stay in Manhattan. And so on the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, we arrived in Jersey City, and it was cold. And normally, I would self-park when I get to the hotel to save a little bit of money because you can valet or self-park, and you save a bit of money if you self-park. But it was cold. I was tired, and I just wanted to get in. So we went to the valet, and we went in, and we pulled in, and, and the valet came, and it was like, yeah, I want a valet park. And so we got all the stuff out of, out of the car. Uh, we avoided the bell man as much as we can because then he takes it up, and you've got to tip him. And like I was like, I carry the bags, I carry the bags. And so, uh, so we, we, we get the bags and the valet gives us the ticket and, uh, and, 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 then, uh, and then we go on our way. They take our car and they take it off and we go up into the hotel. Well, we get upstairs and, uh, and Raquel turns to me. She goes, did you get all the bags? I was like, yeah. And uh, she says, well, what about this? And I realized there was a bag I'd left in the car. And I was like, oh, no. Normally, it's fine if you sell park. You just walk down to the parking garage and go and get a, uh, go, and get, go into your car and get the bag and come back up. But not when you valet. See, when you valet, you don't know where your car is. 
They're not just going to give you your keys so you can go and get your car. You have to go downstairs. You have to ask them to go get the car. They go get the car. They bring it back. And he brings it back. And I said, look, I don't want to take it anywhere. I just need to get an extra bag out of the car. And so I get the bag out of the car. And uh, then suddenly I go down because if you valet, I mean, you've got a tip, right? I mean, if they bring the car to you, you don't have to, but you look, you know, you look stingy if you don't. So I'm, I'm like get my wallet out, and suddenly I realize I have no cash on me. And it's that sinking feeling. All I have is a debit card and a few credit cards. And suddenly I look at the guy and I said, I'm so sorry, I don't have any cash on me to give you. He was like, no problem, man, like this. And he was like, it's the holiday, enjoy your holiday. But I felt so embarrassed. And I felt it was like gut-wrenching. I was like, oh, no, this is terrible. So I asked him, I said, are you going to be around tomorrow at all? Because I knew I'd be able to get some cash. And uh, he was like, no, I'm getting off in a little bit. And he goes, don't worry about it. And I felt so bad. So then I, got, I take the bag, I go back up to the room. And then I realized there was something else I left in the car. <laughs> Raquel said, where's the bowls and the plasticware? Because we knew we were going to get up early the next morning, and so we got up early the next morning, so we didn't have time to go and get breakfast, so we got some instant oatmeal to get some oatmeal, and we bought some bowls and plasticware, and I was like, oh no. I says, I'll go get it, don't worry. Little does she know, this is what happened. She's going to find out right now what happened. So I was like, I'm not going to the valet again. I've got no cash on me. I'm not having him bring a car for plastic bowls, paper bowls, plastic wear, no way. So I decided I'm going to go get my coat on. I got on my phone. Where's the Nevis store? That's what I did. So I found out there's a Target just down the road. So I got my coat on. It was so cold and windy. I, had to, I was walking like this because if I looked this way, I couldn't breathe. The wind was so bad. And I was like this, like, in, like I was trekking through like the Antarctic or something. And I walked half a mile to go to Target to get paper plates, paper bowls, and plasticware. Thinking halfway, mm, I wonder if the hotel could just provide this for me. But not thinking of that at the time. Luckily, Raquel called me. She goes, are you out by any chance? And I said, yes. She goes, oh, I need something. I'm like, yes. Thank the Lord. It will be a good excuse why I went out in this. She was like, well, did you get the car? I was like, no, I walked. It was only a couple of uh, hundred yards down the road. Like, that's what I told her. But I went and I got out. I came back and we had the plastic plates. She was like, did you buy plastic plates? I was like, yeah. I was like, I was out anyway. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but this is what it reminded me of that night. The valet came and the valet needed something. He didn't need it, but it was right for me to give it to him. It was cash. I did not have cash that moment. I actually went and got cash when I went to Target, but he had gone by the time I'd come back. I did not have the cash to give him. But I did have money to give him. It wasn't like I was broke and I didn't have any money to give him. I had, what, what, I had something I could give him, but it was not in the form that he needed. It was, I had plastic cards that were no good to him. That still represented the money to me that I could give him, but I couldn't give it him in the form that I wanted. And the feeling of not having anything to give is not only a little embarrassing, it's a little gut-wrenching. And in that moment, I could not access what I needed so I could give to the valet. 
So let me ask you today. I didn't have money that night to give. The guy should have had a tip. But what happens when you run into people who need Jesus? Or they need the power of Jesus? Do you have what they need? Is it available for you to give it in the form that they need it? Let me explain. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. He was sitting on, on, on a little hillside and he gave something called the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5 verse 13, he said this, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is the salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled on the foot as worthless. Then he says this, and this is to his disciples and his listeners and his followers. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So Jesus is telling us as his followers, as his disciples, that we are called to be the light of the world. Jesus says that we are the light of the world. Where we go, we take Jesus with us. When people see us, they should see a glimpse of Jesus. Our lives should be pointing a light towards where Jesus is. It means when we walk into dark places, we should be the ones that light it up. If people can't see Christ in their life, when we show up in their lives, they should begin to start to see more clearly. Because we are the light of the world. Because Jesus has called us to shine a light on people's lives towards him. And it is because we are called to be light in a dark world that I want to tell you this morning that we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit because we are called to be light in a dark world. If we are to be really honest with ourselves today, Does the Jesus shine bright enough in you to distinguish the darkness in the places that we go and the people that we meet? Does the Jesus in you shine bright enough to distinguish the darkness in the places we go and the people that we meet? And I don't want to be a Debbie Downer this morning, but the truth is it's not. And this is why. Because if it was, our community and this county would be turned upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. People would either do one of two things. They would run to Jesus or they would run away from Jesus. But we live in a county that has become so apathetic towards Jesus that they are not running to him or they're not running away from him. But if we are the light of Jesus and we're shining people towards Jesus, then we need something extra. We need something to help us to shine that light. So Jesus called us to be light, the light of the world. Now, let's take a look at what happened to the disciples. So Jesus said to the disciples, you are the light of the world. Now, I want to turn to you to just a, a couple of chapters later in Matthew chapter 14. John the Baptist has just died. And then it says this in Matthew 14, verse 13. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. 
Jesus saw the large crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus says, that isn't necessary. You feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. The disciples had an issue, or they saw an issue. There was a bunch of crowds that were following Jesus. Jesus had prayed for them. Jesus had taught them many things about the kingdom of God, and he had healed the sick. And suddenly the disciples were like, we're in a remote area. There's not a mall nearby. There's not a food court. There's no restaurants. There's not even a Wawa near. It's like... We're in trouble. You better send the people away, otherwise they're going to get hungry. And like we talked about in week one, when people get hungry, they get hangry, right? You don't want to be around a group of 5,000 plus people who are hungry. And so the disciples had this situation. They knew what the people needed. It's just they didn't have what the people needed. Now, have you ever been in a situation like that when you feel helpless? You see a need, but you know you can't meet that need. Right? You meet the person with stage four cancer, and you know, I, I can't help this person. You meet the person who, who has been addicted to drugs or alcohol for many years, and you think, I really can't help this person. You meet that person who is in such dire financial situations that you're just like, I really can't help this person at all. There is a need so big that you know that you cannot meet it. These disciples, they started to think in logical and practical terms. They wanted to avoid a situation where they would be embarrassed and say, we don't have anything to give you. Almost like Alex in Jersey City not wanting to go to the valet because he didn't have money to give the valet just so he could pick up some paper plates. That's all. And it was exactly the same. They wanted to avoid the situation, and so they went for a mile and a half walk to Target when it was 35 degrees and 25 mile an hour winds, and you were cold. That's exactly what they wanted to do. But notice what Jesus said to them. They're in an impossible situation, and Jesus looks at them and says, you feed them. You feed them. Not me. I won't feed them. You feed them. And their, their, their reply was so practical. Jesus, we only have five loaves and two fish amongst all these people. I can't believe that someone else didn't bring some more snacks. Obviously, my mother or my mother-in-law or my wife wasn't there because they would have had enough to feed everybody. But they only had five loaves and two fish. And they said, that's all we have. But Jesus didn't care. This way he said, bring that to me. For when it comes to faith in Jesus, it is always what you have that will make the difference. It is not what you don't have. And this is what we are so often as Christians, well, if I had this, I could make the difference. No, it's always what you have that will make the difference. The average person will will say, but God, we only have. But this is what I've come to know in my life. Those who the Holy Spirit has come and empowered 
This is what they say. You know what, God, this, this situation seems impossible. But I have this in my hand right now. I'm going to give you this, what I have in my hand. And I know that you can use it for good and you can multiply it, and you can do whatever you want with it. The disciples says, we don't have enough. Let's fast forward just a couple of more verses, more chapters to Matthew chapter 17. There was another incident. It says this in verse 14, at the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. They couldn't heal him. This man had a need. His son was sick. And he brought him to Jesus' disciples, and they couldn't heal him. I have known so many people who have lost their faith because they have prayed for something, and it hasn't happened. And these disciples did not have an answer at all. They just couldn't heal him. But God, your word says that you will do what we ask. If we ask in your name, but they couldn't heal him. Let's continue reading. Jesus said, and I love Jesus' response. Everyone thinks that Jesus is just this happy-go-lucky guy who's maybe like ate too many M&Ms. Listen to this response. You faithless and corrupt people. I feel sorry for them. I'm like, you know, they didn't really know what they were doing. How long must I be with you? Right? How long must I put up with you? I know some of you have said that to your kids. When are you going to go to college? I've had enough. <laughs> then they said this. The boy here. Bring the boy here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon in the boy and he left him. From that moment, the boy was well. Afterwards, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out the demons? And then Jesus said this, and this is one to really get talking about in small group this week. I don't want to touch on it. You don't have enough faith, Jesus said to them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could have said to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. So a man came to Jesus. His son was sick. We let, let, later realize he's, he's actually possessed by a demon. And they tried to pray for him, and they tried to heal him, but they couldn't do it. Jesus comes along. Immediately, he heals the guy, heals the boy, he delivers the boy, and then he gives a stern talking to to his disciples. You notice there is a marked difference between the power of Jesus and the power of the disciples. There's a huge difference. Jesus could do it. The disciples couldn't. Notice it was not that God did not want him to be healed. Because so often, there were times when, yes, it's God's will for something not to happen. But sometimes we blame it so much as Christians. Well, it wasn't God's will after all. It was God's will that he was healed because Jesus healed him. They just couldn't do it. They just didn't have the power to do it. How gut-wrenching must that feel? That they could not walk in the power of Jesus, even though they walked with Jesus. Now, we're going to fast forward a couple of years. A lot has happened. 
Jesus has been arrested. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus resurrected from the dead. Then Jesus spent some time with the disciples. He taught them some things about the kingdom of God that the Bible doesn't even tell us about. Then he told them, wait in Jerusalem and pray because the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the empowering of God will come upon you because the, the Holy Spirit will come and baptize you with power. And then the day of Pentecost came, and we talked a little about that last week, where suddenly they were praying in this upper room, and this crazy event happened where it was almost like an earthquake. Like, it almost appeared that tongues of fire were on their head, and suddenly they started speaking in other languages, and what God was doing on the inside overflowed to the outside. They went out into the streets. People were perplexed what was going on, and then suddenly Peter stepped forward and started to preach, and that day, 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ through one sermon. That's pretty amazing, 3,000 people. And then from that moment on, suddenly this community got formed called the church. And there was a devotion to each other and a devotion to God's word and the, and the Lord's Supper. And the Bible says that daily people were added to the church. Their number increased daily. The disciples were now seeing what Jesus had told them back in Matthew 5. He says that you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Suddenly in Jerusalem, the light is shining bright. Everybody is starting to see Jesus. They're either accepting Jesus or they're rejecting Jesus. There's no apathy that's going on. But what happens next shows the real transformation. What happened in the disciples' life. Think back. The disciples could not feed the 5,000. The disciples could not heal the sick man's son. Now look at this. Acts chapter 3 verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful. So he could beg from the people going into the temple. What a great place to beg, right? Just as people are going into church. You know, it's like, I'm sure he made quite a bit of money. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold for you. But I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand, helped him up, and as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood to his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with him. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. The disciples were walking into the temple. They see a man who is crippled from birth. He has never been able to walk. 
he is begging for money. Peter and John have that uh uh-oh moment. They're walking into the temple. We forgot our wallets. I don't have any money to give you. What would have they done two years ago? This is what they would have done. I don't see him. 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 And walked into the temple. You know, we've all done it. That's what they would have done. But something has happened in their life. They've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. That now God has empowered them so that they can do the work of Jesus. Not the work of Peter and John, but the work of Jesus. Jesus says, the greater things that you will do. Because I go to my Father and send the Holy Spirit. And this is what they say. You know what? I don't have any money to give you. But let me give you what I have. And it wasn't a Christian track. It was the power of Jesus. They said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. They took him by the hand and he stood up and suddenly strength came back in his legs and his ankles. Suddenly a miracle had happened. Remember, they tried to cast a demon out of a sick boy and they couldn't do it. Remember, they, they said, we can't feed these people. We don't have enough. But now they say to this lame man, This is what we have. We will give you what we have, which is the power of Jesus. Get up and walk. And this man that day got something much more valuable than silver or gold. He got new legs and he got new ankles. He was able to walk. See, this is what we find about life. The hurting people in this world are crying out for charity. For charity removes pain temporarily. But it is not charity they need. It is the power of Christ that they need. See, there has been many a person who thinks that this type of power was just for the few. There are some who say it was just for the, for the uh, apostles and the disciples. It wasn't for us. But this is what I know. The power of Jesus is for all. Because the baptism with the Holy Spirit is for all. Let me show you as we close today. Acts chapter 8 verse 4. But the believers were scattered. The believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So there's Philip, who was there with Peter and John on the day of Pentecost. He received the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. And suddenly there was persecution that was happening in Jerusalem. So the believers started to spread. And Philip went to a place called Samaria. And he started to preach about the good news of Jesus Christ. And people started to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. And then because Philip had the power of the Holy Spirit, Philip was able to work in the power of Jesus. And so there was many miraculous signs and wonders that were happening because of Philip's ministry and Philip's preaching. And he was able to cast demons out of people. Remember back once again to that man who said, the disciples just couldn't heal my son. Philip is another one of the disciples who was there. Now Philip is doing 
what Jesus could once do, because he has the power of Jesus. But then let's fast forward a few verses. Verse 14, it says this, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people in Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. So here you've got a group of people who have heard the message of Jesus. They've accepted the message of Jesus. They've asked Jesus into their heart. God has come and, come and done a work in their heart. What we know is through the Holy Spirit that their, their lives have been regenerated, changed, born again of the Spirit of God. But then Peter and John come along and says, this is all wonderful and great. But have you received the Holy Spirit? Or has the Holy Spirit come in and empowered you? And they said, no. So Peter and John came and laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. This is evidence to us that it isn't just for the select few, it is for all. Listen, those people in Samaria, they, they, they aren't the saints that you see uh, that, that Catholic churches or Anglican churches or, or Lutheran churches are named after. They're, they're, they're not the saints, they're, 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 they're not the people that, you know, people even pray to these days. These are unknown people in a city of Samaria who now have been empowered with the Holy Spirit. They have the power of Jesus. Philip had become an amazing evangelist for Christ. There's no way Philip could have done what he did without the Holy Spirit. The power of Jesus is not for the few. It is transferable and available for all. See, the work and mission of Jesus is this, to seek and to save those who are lost. And anybody who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are lost. Their soul is wandering and they are lost. They are blinded in their sin and their darkness. The work of Jesus is to seek and to save those who are lost. His light has come to bring hope to the nations. And now if you are a believer of Jesus, then your mission and your purpose in life is this. is to show the world the Jesus within you to light the way so that they can see Jesus. Your mission and purpose in life is to do the work of Jesus. That's why Jesus said to his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples, baptize them in, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is why we need to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. Because I don't know about you, but in of myself, I just can't do it. I can't do it. So I ask you today, who do you want to be? Do you want to be the disciples who said, you know what, Jesus, we need to turn these people away and tell them to go home because we don't have enough food for them. 
Do you want to be the disciples that prayed for a demon-possessed boy, but they were powerless and couldn't do anything with? Or would you be want, to, want to be one of those disciples, those followers of Jesus, who sees a lame man on the floor and says, you know what, I don't have silver or gold, but I'll give you what I have. And that's the power of Jesus. Get up and walk. Or would you want to be one of those disciples that, that goes into a place and starts preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, goes into your workplace and starts telling people about Jesus, goes into your family functions, and suddenly the light of Jesus is illuminated and they start to see Christ within you and miraculous signs and wonders follow the preaching of what you are telling them. Which one do you want to be? I know which one I want to be. So then I ask you, what do you have to give? Right now, what do you have to give? What is overflowing from you that will lead people to Jesus? And I'm going to ask you a very personal question today. Something that no one else could answer except you. Do you need the baptism with the Holy Spirit? See, many people think the baptism of the Holy Spirit is just this exuberant experience. I talked last week about this moment of power that I had received in my life when I was 16 years old. And so many people think, well, it's this powerful moment when, when people are speaking in tongues and, and it's crazy. It's like people don't even know what's going on. Actually, that isn't the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, it can be an empowering moment where you feel it, or it can be an empowering moment when you don't even feel it, but God is still empowering you. It's not about enthusiasm and about excitement. It's about God empowering you for the work of Jesus Christ. Do you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to ask us in a moment to bow our heads, but before we do that, on the end of each row, there are some index cards, and then at the, uh, on the floor, on the, at the, um, under each chair at the end of the row, there are some of these golf pencils. What I want you to do, whoever's at the end of the row, can you pick them up and distribute them to everybody in your row? So you take one index card and one pencil each. And we're going to do something very practical today before we leave. When our worship night comes around in February, February 9th, there's a couple of things that we're going to pray for. And we talked about it last week. One of the things is, if you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you know it, or you just want to receive an infilling, or you want to receive the power of Jesus within you, we're going to pray for you that night. We're going to do what Peter and John did. We're going to lay hands on you. And we're going to pray that God is going to empower you for the work God has created you to do. There'll be no more, we just couldn't do it. We're going to pray and we're going to believe that the power of God is going to come on you. And your life is going to be so radically changed, you won't even know it. But also that night, we're going to pray for people who are in your life who do not know Jesus Christ. Because part of the role of the church is to help in the mission of Jesus. And we need to be praying for those in our lives who do not know Jesus. 
and praying, God, what is within me, what you've done within me, let it show to my friends, let it show to my co-workers, let it show to my family, let it show to the people I meet. On Christmas Eve, I was so over the moon because somebody who's a dear friend of mine who I've prayed for for a good four years showed up at Generation Church that day. They loved it. And I continue to pray for them. And there's others in my life right now, there's people in my life that God has either strategically placed them in my life or God has just given me a passion for them that they would receive the salvation of God. And there are people that we are praying, recalling myself hard for because they're lost. They're in darkness and they don't even know it. But what we have is the light of Christ. And through our lives, we can show them the way, whether that's through doing a miraculous sign like Peter and John or Philip or whether that's putting our arm around them and being with them and praying with them when they go through hard times or whether it's just boldly confronting them about where they are with Jesus the mission of Jesus is to seek and to save those that are lost and so on that night on that prayer night we are going to pray for those people so what I want you to do I want you to write down as many people as you want who God has placed on your heart who you know are so far away from God or even just a little bit away from God but you know they're lost and I want you to write it down and then in a moment we're going to do something very practical and that night we're going to take these cards and we're going to pray for these people and we're going to intercede for them so just in the quiet of this moment, just before we finish today, I want you to write the name. You can write their first name or last name, what, what, whatever. God sees it, God knows. So let's write their names down. This is what I want us to do with the cards in the air. As a symbol of just reaching out to Jesus, we're going to pray for these people. So let's pray together. Father God, we pray for every name on these cards today. Father, we pray for their life. We pray for their souls. We pray that the work of Jesus will reach into their lives. That they will experience new life in you that the Holy Spirit will come and do a regenerating work in their lives, that their old lives will be put aside and a new life will come, that they will be born again of the Spirit of God as you put it, Jesus. Father, I pray, Lord, that from this moment forth that you will start speaking to them, speaking into their lives, revealing yourself to them, and Father, I pray, God, that you will use us, that you will empower us with your Holy Spirit, Father, so that the Jesus within us will overflow and we will shine a light to you for them. That we will really will be the light of the world like a city on a hill that cannot be shaken. 
Father, I pray that you will do great and marvelous things. That you will do whatever it takes to lead them to salvation in you. That you will move in power on their lives. I ask in Jesus' name.